0: Hi, my name's Mike Flynn and I'm the editor of Jazzwise magazine. I spoke to Django Bates on the phone ahead of his concert on the 9th of June at the Wigmore Hall. It's a real pleasure to speak to you. I mean, obviously we've met briefly a couple of times, but um, I don't think you've ever had a proper chat, but um, I've actually followed your music for a long time just as a listener. I think actually I, I had the pleasure of hearing um, New York, New York at Cheltenham Jazz Festival. Like, literally, I'd never heard it before, so actually hearing it live with your band was was um, was a wonderful sensation. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and it, what's interesting for me is that until about sort of 10 years ago, I wasn't really aware of you as a, as a pianist, and I, I hate to say that, but as I, as I say, I'd heard you in Human Chain and then Delightful Precipice. I'd heard the large ensemble recordings, and... I hadn't really heard you play the piano in, in such a beautiful way. And um, I mean, was there a point where you thought, I want to go back to the piano?
1: Yes, there was. And actually, before that point, there was a point where I consciously turned away from the piano. And there were a couple of reasons for that. One is my first jazz gig was at Johnny Edgecombe's place, the Waterside Theatre, in an old disused wharf on the River Thames. It was great, but the piano was absolutely terrible. And I just thought, <laughs> my life is going to be like this unless I make a decision now to use something else. So I got hold of a keyboard and tried a few keyboards. Eventually I accidentally bought a really good one, which is a Prophet 5, which had a real character. And then that kind of led nicely into loose tubes. I mean, it worked well with all of the horns and this old analog sound. And I was quite happy to be inspired by Zabinol and Herbie Hancock, and just have fun on keyboards. Of course, um, all the way through that time, I could remember the piano and, you know, be enraptured by it in other people's work. Um, And eventually, gigs started having proper pianos. But what really happened is, when I started the the Rhythmic Music Conservatory in Copenhagen in 2005, every time I walked into a room, there was a grand piano, Mm. just sitting there looking at me, with slightly accusing look, you know, where have you been? And just fell back into it and realized, well, it's a completely different experience sitting at a piano. I still like both, and keyboards have their place in the uh, saluting Sergeant Peppers, for example, but it's been great to play a completely acoustic music for the last few years. It's very special.
0: Definitely. And, um, of course, you know, um We're focusing on this performance at Wigmore Hall, and obviously it's going to be in a beautiful setting, very acoustically uh, kind of perfect setting. And, of course, um, you've got two wonderful young players with you, Petter and Peter, and um, can you sort of tell tell us how you met those guys?
1: Yes. um, Peter, the drummer, I met very briefly, almost forgot about it, when I kind of visited Copenhagen for a workshop and I did New York, New York funny you should mention that with Mm. the big bands there and he was very young at that time and I remember thinking this kid is fantastic he's really kind of um, precise but he looks like a punk rocker Mm. and he's got the intensity without the volume (laughs) of a punk rocker and then he there was just one meeting of him and then he disappeared actually he went to India to study music and then never came back to study back at the school in Copenhagen so when I met him again he was just a professional playing over a very wide variety of bands in Denmark and then but he still had this you know very detailed finesse uh, touch at the drums and then meeting Petter Eld he was a student when I met him and he was in a big band that I ran called Storm Chaser in Copenhagen and him, and in fact, also Marius Nesset, who was a guest on this concert. Mm. They would turn up every Friday morning and kind of lead the way for all of the other students by just showing that whatever I brought in terms of written music, they could handle it. And they would work out how to to make it work. And um, that was great because no one could ever turn to me and say this is unplayable, <laughs> because they could look at these other two students nailing everything. Yeah, and then, but that side, I knew Peter and Petter, and then one day I was just walking down the corridor in the school there, and I heard such a good sound of a bass and drums within an ensemble, and I looked in the room, and having said for many years that I would never have a piano trio, I just had to break my promise right there and say I have to play with me on piano and this bass player and this drummer, just because I know it would be exciting.
0: Yeah, and, and they really, I mean, um, I, I've got to know Petter a little bit uh, in, in recent years, and, um, I mean, he's a very switched-on guy, very open to lots of music, as, I, as I'm sure um, Peter Bruun, the drummer, is as well. But I find Petter's um, bass playing is really intriguing because he, he's rhythmically incredibly strong, but then strips away a lot of the notes, so you get just a very... kind of core kind of thing going with him I mean has he influenced some of the writing that you've done?
1: Yes definitely it's quite difficult to say exactly how but I just I'm very aware of his presence when I'm writing and that can either be a a beautiful piece like the Study of Touch where he's really exposed up high on the melody as you say with tons of space in between one note and the next or a piece like We Are Not Lost we are simply finding our way. And the idea of that piece was to write a bass line as long as I thought we could memorize Mm -hmm. so we could play it without any music on the stage and then that I would build the composition above that bass line. And what I found by doing that process was that it wasn't that hard to memorize that bass line. So just recently I've written another piece which extends that idea that quite like some of the audience to be thinking wait how is this possible Um, it's memorized but it seems to be infinite (laughs) it's a kind of illusion of infinity in a way and that's a new piece which we will play at the Wigmore Hall called Never Ending Strife.
0: Wonderful and uh, you know it actually got me thinking um, I was actually watching the BBC Young Musician of the Year last night and I was just thinking about uh, classical composition and how um it's very free from i mean I, i'm sure it has its own set of conventions but you know classical versus jazz obviously like you, is exactly what you say it's that you can have a long form that that has no restrictions really purely the only restriction being your own memory um and uh you know so do you, your use of long forms is 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 interesting and it's something that you've embraced in terms of like writing for a trio which essentially you know obviously trios tend to revolve around a certain type of composition a certain type of you know, bass solo, drum solo, that kind of thing
1: Yeah, I take your point that a trio, it's a small band and often it plays a small piece and mm. that's true like um, uh, a 16 bar melody and then we're off to what we can build on that and this is just very different, this band I think that's maybe because it doesn't feel different for me, writing for a trio than writing for a big band. Mm. I actually want to get the same amount of information in. If you take a piece like my arrangement of Donna Lee, um, when I came to arrange that for the big band, it was all there already. I didn't have to build on it and add other dimensions into other sections of the band. There was enough going on already. It's incredibly, incredibly two-handed. Actually, it feels three-handed sometimes. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that's, that's really the fun, is to take a trio and play extended compositions, but then still leave room for improvisation sections that really make sense within the composition. And a lot of people say, actually, I couldn't tell where the improvisation started. And I think that's totally fine. I kind of rather prefer that. Than the situation where, oh, it's a solo and at the end of it we better be prepared to clap. Yeah. You don't always know the solo is finished either with our stuff. It's a kind of more compositional approach.
0: Definitely. I also felt, I was just listening to the album this morning, um A Study of Touch, and it's a very immersive album. I feel like you're kind of, you know, you may only be in a three piece uh, arrangement here, but you're kind of, you're almost enveloping the listener with a lot of chords and a lot of beautiful harmonies and subtle rhythms and things like that. So there's a kind of a feeling of orchestration within the music, as far as I can tell, anyway.
1: Yes, I, think, I hope so. That's right. That's the idea. When I'm writing music for the trio, I'm sitting down writing music, and at a certain point I prepare the piano part and print it out and then take it to a piano, and that's really the first time I sit down and work out how to play what I've created and when i'm writing i'm realistic about what's possible but i'm not actually sitting at a piano playing it and checking out it's not written around how fingers naturally fall onto Mm. a piano it's actually written more as if i was writing for a big band so Mm. there's always a challenge and that's another part of the process that i really like Mm. to sit there and think okay got to spend a few hours on this bar definitely (laughs)
0: that's great and um of course i mean you know not to get too bogged down in record labels and things like that but obviously this was your first solo album for ecm and i mean was there a a conscious thing of wanting to say i want to present the the band in this way and and this music in this way uh, you know and and with the the title as well study of touch it's a very kind of tactile but very subtle thing Uh, was that all part and parcel of doing something with ecm
1: Yeah, I definitely had a think about where the band was. We'd done two albums. The first one, nearly all Charlie Parker arrangements. Mm. The second one, kind of mixing in some of my own material. And it felt quite natural to do a third one, which was all my material apart from one little reference to Charlie Parker Mm -hmm. in the tune Passport. And, yeah, that felt like a good step. It being on ECM, I wrote one piece specifically for the recording that was... Lippage Street. No, also I also wrote Happiness All the Way Up for the recording, mm. just so we could have this going down, going up, bookend thing on the album, at the beginning and the end. And, yeah, I just chose things based on creating a programme of music that would be really enjoyable to play at Rainbow Studios, which I knew um, from the past, and with Manfred as the audience. I just kind of felt proud that I was going to be able to do a gig for Manfred with my band. I'm so glad that he was going to get to hear the band at last. So, yeah, it was quite an organic process making that album. It, it
0: sounds like it. It sounds. It sounds. Um, you know, highly uh, controlled, beautiful, but also, like you say, very. There's a lovely spontaneity there. Um, also, just focusing on on the gig that's coming up at Wigmore, you obviously got um, the amazing Marius Nasset, and um, you're the reason I first heard him, because uh, you brought him to Ronnie Scott's a number of years ago um, for the Radio 3 uh, sort of programme that was uh, recorded there.
1: Yeah, I remember that, yeah.
0: And and he made a real uh, serious impression, I mean... um, do you do you keep in contact with Marius? Are you kind of because uh, his his composing style is quite reminiscent of yours, as far as I can you know observe. You know.
1: Yeah, well, I could say he was a student of mine, and we looked at composition a lot. That's a bit cheeky, isn't it? That's taking credit for what he writes. <laughs> but I would also say that when I sent him an email with the music for Little Petherick. Which yeah. goes right back to the nineties, I guess, the yeah. first recording with Ian Ballamy. Mm. And he said, Oh man, I love that piece. I'm so glad to be able to play it. I mean he's we've never played it before now. Mm. And so he knew my music before I knew him, before we met. And don't know how that came about, but he's listened to a lot of music and we have lots we have lots in common. But also He's worked so much with Peta Eld and mm. drummers like Anton Eger at a time when they were developing a rhythmic language between them. And he was really there and really conscious during all those rehearsals. So he's got a kind of rhythmic sensibility, which is very unusual, I think, Definitely. and very special. Um, just something else you said, I was going to say something about Marius, what was it? Um, oh yeah, the first gig that you saw at Ronnie Scott's, um, yeah. I liked that gig so much that I bought a painting that Gina Southgate was doing while we were performing, just so I could remember the experience of the gig, it still hangs on my wall.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. It it had a, I mean, I, I knew the band, obviously I, I know uh, Mike Mondesi uh, very well, and um you know it was um yeah it was, that was a really special gig it felt um it felt like you were sort of acknowledging the past but then also bringing on the future with something with marius there and just kind of showing this guy i mean it, i think it was the first time a lot of people in uh in london in britain had ever heard of him so uh you know that was um that was quite a moment that was you know
1: yeah good
0: and you've also got um i'm gonna mess a pronunciation up now but the the singer claire Hugenin with you. Um, and um, she's a new name to me. I, I did um, sort of check out some of the stuff she's been doing, and she sounds fantastic, but w- where do you know Claire from?
1: From here in Bern, um, at the University of the Arts, the jazz course mm. where I've been teaching here for a while, mm. and, you know, she was just in her final time there when I arrived, so I got to hear various projects of hers, some beautiful stuff with a harp player, yeah. and... Ken did a gig at Sarajevo Jazz Festival with me, and some of that material we will play at the Wigmore Hall, like an arrangement of The Times They Are a Changing by Bob Dylan, which just kind of it's a different kind of revolution that we're in right now. It's mm. probably not the one that anybody hoped for, but it certainly is. <laughs> it is one, and this feels like the end. And fascinate me. I mean, having her there just opens up a whole lot of possibilities for words. That enter the picture, as mm. music.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because going back to sort of human chain and, and those things, you know, you often work with uh, vocalists or you sang yourself, so that'd be really interesting if a singer could be involved with the trio in some way.
1: Yeah, and also the last gig we did at Wigmore Hall was just a trio, and it just felt quite natural to bring a couple of guests into the picture. The la- I think the last one we played with the trio, we walked out into the pub next door after the gig, and saw that Brazil were being beaten 7-0 by Germany. And we thought there must be a mistake with the the writing on the screen. But there were Brazilian people in the pub crying. So we realised, no, this is, actually, this is actually happening. I don't know if that means that the last gig was four years ago.
0: Yeah, a lot of symbolism here. Yes. <laughs> Um, one of the things, I mean, you've hinted at, at some sort of political things that are going on, and obviously it's a pretty seismic sort of time. But, I mean, in, in many ways, you, you kind of like, you bucked that trend with the the the, uh, the Sgt. Pepper's uh, sort of project, shall we say, um, because that just showed an unbelievable amount of um, cooperation between European countries and cities and musicians and showed what's possible.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. That was the idea. And it really made sense for exactly that reason. Yeah. In fact, uh, it was the only way to make the project possible because I asked for quite a few extra musicians. I needed an extra guitarist and string player and an extra vocalist and started to realize, actually, this is more than one country can handle alone. So let's see if we can make a cooperation between the four. And that's... When it works, that's the beauty of operation
0: yeah but but also slightly ironic that obviously that the central piece is by a great british band that you know is is the one of the ultimate examples of what we're good at in britain Um, and you know again it's there's a there's a sort of sad irony there that um, we seem to be heading away from that part of you know you know we're, we're sort of like we're, we're potentially sort of burning all those bridges um that we've made culturally you know
1: yeah it's just crazy uh, i've actually taken a conscious decision with myself not to mention brexit on stage anymore when it yeah. first happened i involved it a little bit in a light way mm. just to acknowledge um that it wasn't my fault because you know going to a gig in <laughs> True. germany yeah you want to excuse yourself slightly, and then after a while, I just thought, okay, I've I've done that. Let's not just bring that onto the stage. Really, there's enough in the music without having to say it so clearly.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think the music is is hopefully bigger than all of that, and it, and it, of course it is. You know, I mean, it's it goes without saying almost. Um, but you've had, I mean, just to sort of move on a little bit from that, you've had, I mean, you've had a very busy few years because of course you know you you came back with loose tubes as well uh, a bit prior to the the sergeant peppers thing and if nothing else i just admire your energy and enthusiasm for these very large scale projects Uh, i'm guessing the piano trio is something of of a relief in a way to kind of just be three of you on stage and not sort of 15 or 18 or something
1: well it's a miracle getting loose tubes into the same room i mean there's so many different personalities and each personality really strong and but that's also really vibrant as well and Mm -hmm. really giving a lot so it was just an incredible experience to to make that happen and actually have a week at ronnie's with that um the trio yeah i mean every band has its challenge what i'd like is for the trio to work more and to not always do one gig here and then not meet for another month and then one gig here Mm. um But I think that's gradually becoming possible and it's just a constant trying to nudge things in the right direction and trying to surprise people with the music enough that they can't forget it and Mm -hmm. just keep doing everything. I mean, yeah, last year was really crazy with those three albums coming out at the same time and then needing to be performed live. Um, Really great to experienced a year like that and i guess in a way it takes the pressure off now slightly because i think well you know people don't need to see me immediately i (laughs) can have a little break (laughs) that's why it's good to turn up at the wickmore hall and just make a a, an appearance that has a lasting impression and then give everyone a bit of peace and quiet for a while (laughs)
0: Oh, but Django, we, you know, we love to hear from you. think you don't have to be like that. Um, uh, but, but, um, you know, obviously you are just remembering and kind of researching, um, you know, things that you've been doing in the last, you know, uh, sort of 10, 15 years. And of course, you know, your, your 50th was marked in, in 2010 with the Storm Chaser band. And then that kind of led on to lots of things in new discoveries like Marius Nasset and obviously then the, the trio and other things. But what have you got any have you had any desire to to do something in uh, in 2020 and again sort of put down another marker m- make a new start on something else
1: yeah I'm whew, uh, in two minds about that um, the biggest surprise of all would be to do nothing <laughs> That's quite. <laughs> I've mentioned doing nothing several times now. That's not a good sign, is it? It's just, uh, maybe it's just too early in the morning. Yeah, uh, up a couple up more espresso and I'll be bouncing with ideas. Now, I think, um, look, I've always got to do something, but you can't always control when it actually materializes. No. So I would just say the projects that are kind of being stoked up now, I just wish that they reach fruition at, at whatever point is organically right for them maybe that will be 2020. I'll let you know.
0: I wanted to make the point earlier, actually, because you briefly mentioned Zarinol, but I just wanted to say that you kind of did a reverse Zarinol, basically. So you went into the keyboard thing and then you came back to the piano. But, um, you know, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, well, keyboards are still there and um, piano is still there. It all depends on the project. Actually, we have one, uh, two performances of Saluting Sergeant Pepper's still to do. in the next couple of months in Germany and so two last chances to celebrate that and yeah, keyboards I don't know if we do another ECM album I might introduce a little keyboard here and there I, I didn't want to bring extra complication into it I just wanted to be kind of stress free and just really dig into the music but there are places for ethereal sounds uh, to add spice definitely
0: and, and also you appeared on the the Anwar Brahma album as well which was was really beautiful actually
1: yeah that's a good point actually i you know i he came to visit and we played together just the two of us for a day or two and just to see how the, the language was going to mix between us mm. the piano and the oud tuning and everything and I actually played him my keyboards, and I said, look, I have this possibility. And he just kind of looked at me with a quizzical expression, and I realized that he wasn't interested. <laughs> and, that was, and that was good, because we went on tour last month, and it was just a luxurious uh, situation of walking into a beautiful hall and walking up to a beautiful Steinway that was slightly more beautiful than the one the night before or beautiful in a different way and you know no hassle with electronics just sit there and make beautiful music into the space and that's been a a very enjoyable project for me and my approach was somehow to find an alternative way than just being stuck in the mode that the piece is written in and that the Oud is improvising in and just to bring in other harmonies but without contradicting what Anwar is playing and without disturbing the mood but just kind of bringing in some of my harmonic language in a very subtle and careful way mm. and that makes every gig a kind of uh, a new challenge to find different ways to do that.
0: Definitely and just out of interest were you, um, was it the same band that was on the record that was touring?
1: Yes it was.
0: So was that Dave Holland on bass and others? I I can't remember the exact lineup. sorry.
1: Yeah, it was Dave Holland on bass and Jack DeJonet on the drums and me. So so yes, I have been sitting in a van with Dave Holland and Jack (laughs) DeJonet.
0: There are a lot worse people to sit in vans with.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, surprisingly you don't really have to talk uh, and ask questions. I mean, I don't. I just sit there and just it's within the history that's in in the space, if you know what I mean. Totally, yeah. I didn't say, what was it like on day two of the recording of pictures Brew, (laughs) the third hour? What did you eat? And all that stuff. (laughs) It would have been tempting, but um, I think they've been asked those questions so many times, I would just kind of passively dwell within the same space as them and be very happy with that.
0: Lovely. Fantastic. Django, I think we've had a wonderful chat and to be honest I'm uh, it's been a real pleasure for me.
1: Me too. I, yeah.
0: You know, and uh, and will you be coming back with any other I mean you you know this is the trio and then the Sgt. Peppers and then let's see what happens there's no kind of definite uh, uh, you know next thing happening or is it just kind of an ongoing writing and uh you know playing process.
1: There's an album already recorded of the trio playing the Parker stuff with a big band oh wow and i have a duty to bring that out in it's very good it's with the norbottom big band it's the band that played at the proms actually a couple of years back and um plan is to bring that out in 2020 but i didn't specifically mention that because um it's not actually a a fixed date yet but that would kind of make sense to bring that out and then let's see, Actually, I think I have a gig at the Wigmore in 2019 and they're already asking me who's going to be in the band. So I have to think about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and will you come to Ronnie Scott's again at some point?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. But, um, you know, the way Ronnie's operates, well, it was just about possible to make saluting Sergeant Pepper work mm. because... There was such a lot of interest in the project, but you know of course it was expensive for them to have yeah, a whole yeah. big band coming from Germany, hotel rooms and all that stuff yeah, but yeah. there 's always a you know a, a place that 's that big in that right in the middle of london there 's always a challenge there unless you 're George Benson or <laughs> Pat Maffini yeah sure um, it 's got to be the right project that you bring there which can guarantee you should do what needs to be done for the club as well as the musicians in the audience but it's a great place and um, it's always good to play there for a few nights in a row because mm-hmm. you just kind of get to build on something and yeah that's good see what i can do
0: fabulous django i think we're going to call it a day and um it's been as i say a, a real pleasure to talk to you and um i hope to see you at the wigmore hall
1: good see you there then we'll go and run out and watch the footy and the pub next door <laughs>
0: Let's see what's happening. Let's see who's winning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. See
0: you, man. Brilliant. Bye-bye, mate. Take care.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.